Hey guys, this is Andy and Richard, and we're here again with our podcast. Amazing, yeah. yeah. Hey Andy, how are you doing today? Great. Okay. Definitely not just been doing a whole day of Power BI <laughs> custom visuals, destroying my soul. Right. Yeah. Um, and me regexes. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just not getting anywhere. You're building just a web browser with horrendous. regular expressions. That's um, that's it's quite a thing. Awful. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I thought I'd be beyond that. Well, uh, you win the prize for probably the worst computational task performed today in London. Possibly <laughs> further afield as well. It's great running this in the regex tester, though, right? You you kind of like when you when you have these complex expressions, yeah, right. Uh, you you see it online going one step, two step, three steps, six steps, processing fail, like <laughs> recursive backtrack error, and you're like, what's it doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to delve into this black box of regexes and yeah. uh, you know it's just literally impossible and then of course you'll have somebody like bless him darren just look at that and go oh no you need a backslash all that yeah yeah that's <laughs> right everything will be fixed after yeah. like six hours of complete hardship yeah that's it oh I know there's a moment as well when you were remembering doing all the regular expressions inside Perl scripts. And I, I, I thought the next sentence was going to be, we should just do that. <laughs> <laughs> heart was going a bit at that point. No, no, I wouldn't put you through that. Um, <laughs> although uh, although it did conjure up. Did you ever have the little black book of Perl? Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, my yeah. God, what an incredible yeah. book. It was the only black book I had. Yeah, it was pretty cool. computer bookshelf. Yeah, well. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah back in the day. I, I was unlucky enough to um, be stuck with a Windows machine. <laughs> Um, doing Perl, and it was some really half-baked um, implementation of Perl on Windows that uh, that only had about two features. And I was trying to... Was I that was, Active State? Yeah, it was, oh actually. Oh, my God, Active State, what a ball ache to install it, as well. It, it, it always <laughs> went totally wrong. And the, I remember there was this this one thing I was trying to do, which which was to use um, SendMail. Um, and be, because I was trying to write a CGI... Uh, form, yeah, it's a form processor. So my website could send something up, and it would email me a yeah, set of info yeah. about it. Um, because on Windows, there's no equivalent, and there's nothing that you can actually hook into to send the messages. Um, you just had to hope and pray that that part works, <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd upload it to your, your host who had a, a send mail implementation um, in like slash USR slash send mail or something, and it would effectively be a totally different script. It was doing something totally different. <laughs> Uh, I remember what fun, I know, fun was, days it was, and you know everything you tried, you never really got any feedback on. So, oh yeah, because the debug process was via FTP, <laughs> <laughs> FTP something, and go, does it work? I don't know. Oh, my God. some log somewhere. Like, I'll look at my FTP clients. <laughs> you know, I, I remember. Um, I remember I learned CGI. I bought this. I bought this big fat book called HTML three point two something rather something rather in CGI. Yeah. Um, it's all gone and, wrong in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I had to read so much faff just to get to the little C script that I wanted. Yeah, but um, yeah, it turns out that everything I did, um, like in the early days, I, I when I discovered like informa- internet information services, um, it it was basically all exploitable. You know, I used yep. all these address book applications, right? nice. <laughs> which people mounted privilege escalation attack. <laughs> so like. Everything I built was a security flight risk. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Microsoft. Well, yeah, I mean, it made it easy to do bad things. I guess that's the, 
full sentence was difficult, that's right? That's right. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about Pearl today uh, or CGI. No, nope. um, those things are in the past. We're here to um, that that internet meme that you created. I'm not technical, but which has literally <laughs> gone through a last cloud like wildfire. Yeah. Um, we um, you came up with the most fantastic name this week, and you know it had me in hysterics when you. Uh, which was uh, which was the name of this episode, which yeah. is Arc Ship B. Arc Ship B. That's right. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even say it without laughing. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, so from Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide, um, and there's a, a, a planet. Um, Golga Frencham. Yeah. The people were called the Golga Frenchams. <laughs> and <laughs> they decided that, that society would be a little bit better if they could separate out people who created things, people who did things, from those who were just middle managers, telephone, hand, hand <laughs> sanitizers, <laughs> sanitizers. hairdressers, management consultants, yeah, management consultants, yeah, uh, people that we meet quite a lot, well, maybe not the hairdressers, but we meet quite a lot of those people in our day-to-day. What are you talking about? I was on an executive board with hairdressers. <laughs> you were, you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were um, for one of the most successful breakaway banks <laughs> in the last decade. <laughs> it's such, didn't a, such put an that unlikely into context at all. Yeah, wow, an unlikely sentence that was. <laughs> anyway, so in the story, they they build a massive ship, uh, convince all the telephone handset sanitizers to to get on, and they send it off uh, into space to find a brand new world uh, where they can spread the. You know, uh, the civilization, and everyone else is going to be just behind. Honest. Um, <laughs> so, so there was Arkship A and Arkship C. Remember? Yeah, and uh, yeah, like all the like you said, all the thinkers, all the all the people, like all the greatest artists and yeah. scientists, and then you had all the people that actually do things, like yeah. the miners and the engineers, and um, you know, possibly some of our our ilk, software devs, software devs. Yeah, yeah that's right, and. Um, they're convinced that they had to rush off Ark should be because they're about to be eaten by a giant space goat. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then they land and it, anyway, it's a, it's a really fantastic. Actually, the, the the prequel of the whole book is is in that. But anyway, the um, moral of the story there. <laughs> once they finally get to a planet um, and form a civilization around the, the, the notion of leave currency. <laughs> Causing mass deforestation. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's and, right. And the king elect, who is the captain of the ship, who's uh, sitting in his bath for for years upon years. Yeah. Um, With his rubber duck, no doubt. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, the this sort of takes us to the the place of thinking about non technical people. <laughs> That's right. Which are basically our arc ship be arc ship be. So um, so you know, so all those opinionated non technical people that we talk about. Um, with within the sentence of I'm not technical, but yeah, uh, or our arc ship B. Um, I guess our arc ship A are the the kind of leaders of the world, the Googlers and the Microsofties who come up with all the incredible yeah. software and the new AI revolution and that kind of stuff. Um, the more uh, humble of us are arc ship C. Um, I think I think what actually happened in the in the story was that everybody. Um, Everybody on Golga Frincham contracted a virus and died of um, yeah. from a from a dirty <laughs> from, telephone. from a dirty telephone because yeah. all the telephone sanitizers had gone on Arc Ship B. 
<laughs> that is exactly what happened, yeah. I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because now, as much as I loathe that sentence, I'm not technical, but which um, you know sets up with an excuse and, and moves into an unvalidated opinion, which uh, is often spouted by people who are in roles of authority over technical people. Um, and it causes significant sort of stunting of the innovation process because it's like, I'm not technical, but I think we should do it on a Texas Instruments calculator or something. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what do I do with this? Um, the, the the whole thing is actually, start, let's break that down, actually. Let's break that down with, I'm not technical as a, as a first sentence, and first part of the sentence. And that clause is is something that I think is, over time, eroding away. Mm. And when I hear someone now say, I'm not technical, I don't just think that um, you're, you haven't had, you haven't put the, the sort of time in to do it. I also think that you're actively choosing not to participate in the technical process. Mm. And there's so many ways of, of engaging with a technical team and providing technical insights or insights around the technical process that are fundamentally things you can do without having spent 20 years on a keyboard typing in Perl regular expressions. Um, but there are things you can do. Like You can even think about the um, the citizen developer kind of, uh, of cycle. Which I was just thinking that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it enables people who haven't done that Perl work to produce things of better quality than a pearl thing would yeah. probably be. Yeah, that's right. It's a changing world, isn't it? It, it? it is a changing world. And I think I think it's the difference between, um, you know, the people who are, no, who, are, who are actually not so up their own arsehole, right, as to expect it to be done for them. Sorry, Gabe, that's another Gabriel's, quality warning. Yeah, he's going to hear another explicit. I was hoping to avoid it, but <laughs> it's been one of those days. We're doing this too late. I, but you're just going to get a cascade of yeah, expletives yeah. soon, you know that. Um, so, um, you know, and it it really, really annoys me because the the tooling today has made it so easy, right, that, you know, our kids can just pick stuff up, you know. So for somebody not even to have an excuse to be able to like build wireframes, you know, mm. do, do things that are really, really common and simple, right? Because they think to themselves, you know, I'm going to take control of this problem. Yeah. You know, I've got my, I've got my limits, but I'm going to go as far as I can. Yeah. You know, but I think that we're in a world where a lot of people um, choose, like you say, to have these artificial boundaries, you know, and they're not necessarily um, not smart, you know, um, although the majority of them are, sorry. Um, <laughs> some. In fact, in fact, some of them, some of them think that um, are so fucking arrogant, right? There we go. <laughs> that they think that techies can't actually do things on their own, yeah, and that they're the guiding light, and that yeah. they get the best out of teams, and you know, yeah. And that's one thing that really, really annoys me. It's 100%. something that's been really kind of unsettling for me over the last um, few years. You know, since I've seen this phenomenon of, yeah. um, you know, seeing some very, very smart people around me um, who and other people like are actively going, right, they can't do anything on their own. Yeah. Right. When they're commonly solving problems, they were the same people that were up like um, all the way into night solving problems through uni and their first jobs. And, you know, yeah. And it's a little bit fucking disrespectful. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the balance of of people in in these teams that we were frequently in seems to be very much shifted towards uh, positions where people didn't have to put the time in and enjoyed themselves going through various different phases of their life, um, not putting in the long hours. And those those of us who did, um, being at the receiving end of a whole bunch of uninformed opinions from those who didn't put the effort in, uh, that seems to be the baseline. <coughs> and, and I think it's up to us as technologists and uh, to to change that round and to say to people who are not technical, but there's plenty of tools out there for them to participate in. Um, people who are uh, in in my teams where we're building things that are software um, and we're trying to build out um, you know, relatively complicated software that has lots of features. The, the non-technical people, with air quotes around that one, who are in that team, they all need to be qualified as being the best users of using that system mm. and understanding how you configure it and how you get the best out of it so that when a customer asks, they can go and not bother a developer, but they can field that question and they can give a good answer immediately themselves. And that's in a like a customer success role mm. where they have to be like the number one power user of the system. Maybe not so technical that they are... Um, providing code or giving, you know, actually getting into the code base and fixing stuff because that's obviously specialist and we gatekeeper that stuff for quality reasons. But it's a spectrum and the spectrum of, of technicality or of, um, yeah, let's go with that. That spectrum of technicality is from one end, exceptionally technical, getting into the nuts and bolts of how something works <clears throat> all the way down a slope, but it doesn't stop at nothing. Mm. At the far end of that, you've got people who need to use every part of the system, and and you get like that that kind of notion that for like IT pros, right? Mm. IT pros are incredibly numerous back in the day. So that's um, IT professionals, the guys who would not write software but would use software to set up servers, set up you know operating systems, configure networks, and all that kind of nonsense. Magic was one of those. We, Magic, oh, yeah. Magic was our first IT pro, yep, wasn't Magic. it, when there was such a thing as an IT pro? Yeah. Um, and that that kind of... Well, those guys aren't writing software. So from our perspective, we'd say, well, they're not as technical as us because they don't understand the low-level programming languages and some of the primitives. They often know things like networking from a relatively superficial standpoint. That's not true for all of them, but there's definitely more of them who are more superficial than <coughs> those who aren't. Um, and because they don't have to get into the weeds, into the fundamentals of the protocols, of how things actually work, they're just using and consuming software on the top of them. It makes them like power users of somebody else's software as opposed to being real software developers. And I, I think that IT pros have kind of disappeared. Mm. Um, and with the sort of APIization, that's a hard thing to say, it's not even a word, um, <laughs> but with, with the ability to... Maybe go with the Spanish pronunciation. It's a little no, bit more poetic. Let's not do that. Was it happyization? Okay, makes us happy. Let's do it. So, happyization of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, when when we look at that, with with all the things that we've got, the cloud with command and control planes that are coming that we interface <laughs> with, we don't have to do as much of the physical side of it. The users of of technology shift to in that sense. They don't necessarily do the same thing anymore. But there is a real role for somebody who looks at software that's created and understands how people use it 
mm. and use it in a fully way. And I'd argue that they are actually technical people mm. um, because they have to be able to understand the complexities of the software. It's like somebody who uses, uh, like our good old friend Roger, Roger Govier, oh, yeah, a Rog. Word MVP. Was he an Excel MVP? He was Excel. Excel, sorry, sorry, Rog. Um, the, he is an expert power user of an Office product. Yeah. Not much of a coder, but knows how to do the macros, the configuration, the customization, the little bit of the VBA around the edges. He did write a book on him, remember? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> But, <laughs> so, but but what we what we have there is someone who is a power user who isn't really creating new software, yeah, but is interfacing with software at an incredibly technical level. Mm-hmm. So there's that's one end of the spectrum for me, and it's technical. We shouldn't say those people are non-technical, and no. I think everyone around us in our business we should encourage to become technical to some degree to pick up something and become the number one user of it. Yeah. I think, I think that 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 is a great philosophy. Um, I think one of the things that I've really loved seeing because you mentioned um, citizen. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've loved seeing um, with our customers is that um, you know the proliferation of things like power apps. Right, even though they always end up being a complete fucking disaster <laughs> because you can't track them. Um, they generate data silos everywhere. Um, they end up with single users and a high cost of maintenance yeah. if you don't put the governance in place. And I think that the one of the things that I like about these technologies like um, Power Apps and Power BI, um, you can use them really badly, right? And most people do. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they're giving it a go to try and solve a problem is the thing that I'm, I, I really appreciate, I, re- I really think is great. Yeah. Because... Um, you know, none, none of the, none of the people in in all the various roles, roles, whether it's finance, legal, haven't been trained to think laterally in the same way yeah. that um, engineers have. So to then have some tool sets, right, where they can use some simple building blocks, right, whether or not it's drag drop, a few expressions here and there, um, just to try and get stuff done in a more automated manner. Yeah, you know it. Pretty impressive, and some of the things that I've seen, you know, pretty, are pretty commendable, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. And with with some of those examples there, you've got you've got systems that we are even using that are quite they're highly configurable and integratable <coughs> uh, systems that you can push data between various endpoints, and you can get them to connect expenses systems with accountancy systems, and to a degree, you know, developers need to get involved and, and do incredibly secure things there. But around the periphery of that, you've got, let's just export reports in a format that makes sense for us. Let's mm-hmm. just configure the way that my dashboard looks at a glance. And if we look at, you mentioned Power BI and Power Apps. <coughs> like, these are meant to be things that fix IT problems. Yeah, IT is, is I'm not a fan of big IT. Uh, as we, as I go over pretty much all the time on these podcasts, but um, IT being a cost center as a department and not a profit center for innovation of a business is like one of my biggest bugbears. Yeah, and when you get a, an IT team, a developer team inside an enterprise, their job is to do reporting for the CFO, 
and they're using SQL Server um, reporting services or something like that. Just a few years back, that would have been incredibly commonplace. And every time the CFO wants something, he has to put it into a work order tracking list and it goes into Visual Studio or whatever tool they're using to track stuff. And yeah. they work from the top down to the bottom. There's a little bit of prioritization. We can be agile about it. Ooh, that fixes stuff, honestly. <laughs> um, uh, but fundamentally, the dev team is a step removed from understanding the finance, has got a lot of problems understanding exactly what measures should be what. The financial controllers don't have time or the inclination to explain to a bunch of guys who don't understand the same language that they're talking about what they actually mean by things. Mm-hmm. Problems creep in because of that. And and the delay in getting it to go between the two is 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 insane. It's what slows down delivery inside enterprise apps. Yeah. Power BI, Power Apps, fundamentally designed for self-service, put it in the hands of people closer and closer and closer to the CFO himself. Mm. So you don't want Power BI to be a developer's tool. It's, mm. it's trying intentionally not to be a developer's tool. It's trying to be enabled by an enterprise backend that has developers and software engineers doing it. But all the last mile stuff, the, the changing of a line chart to a bar chart, the changing of a measure from one unit measure to another, creating individual new measures that that just add a couple of things together to mean something specific for a sector, mm. that is meant to be done by non-technical people in the, the actual delivery team. It's a technical thing that's meant to be done by the non-technical people. Mm-hmm. Right? For that to be fully successful, you need your CFO or someone on his team to willing and able to log into Power BI, go into edit mode and go, all right, the boss wants to see compound interest so they go in they type in a, a formula for compound interest create a new measure whack it on the screen there you go he's got it in five minutes mm-hmm. right that's what it's trying to do the self-service that whole revolution of self-service bi and, and uh, is trying to get away from enterprise it as a cost center that takes forever to deliver stuff and gets it wrong over and over again and then the question is right so why do i really get hung up about non-technical people with their crappy requirements about like <laughs> compound interest right why don't because i shouldn't give a shit right uh, the the it team shouldn't be because of luddites inside an org mm. shouldn't be forced to do sort of non-technical stuff pseudo non-technical stuff understanding things from the world of finance yeah building things that have got no actual value to the direct go to market of the business mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a manufacturer, the software guys in the manufacturing should be trying to make manufacturing more efficient or build services on top of your manufactured products mm-hmm. right? or build analytics around reliability and sell it on. Right? This, these are the things that you should be doing with technology, good, valuable things, not fixing the fact that your CFO can't type three letters together inside <laughs> Power BI on his desktop. But yeah. it really, it's like I'm not technical so I'm not going to bother, could actually be another part of that sentence. Yeah. And, I, and that really frustrates me. Yeah, no, I get it. And I, so I want to be so bold as to extend that to, um, to CTOs as well, who um, I think um, in our modern day, right, there are so many CIOs and CTOs who fall under that I'm not technical but, mm-hmm. right? They've somehow, they've somehow ended, in, ended up in a position where they're determining the uh, the technology of a of a business yep and um, you know I wrote uh, a blog post on this the loser CTO cycle yeah, yeah. and um, 
you know, this is obviously a, a cyclical thing that happens in the cloud, but I just think that a lot of these people should be means tested. Yeah. Because the, <clears throat> you know, if you can't, if you can't build um, all of the things that you want your IT team to build, right, and you don't, you can't have that vision from, yeah. um, and understand at least the bare bones of how, what the implementation should be, yeah. right, then it shouldn't be in that role. Yeah. And um, I know that both of us have come across so many people who are like technical heads yeah. who who do start with that, 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 um, that slogan, I'm not technical, but. Yeah. And you think to yourself, what the fuck? How do they pass <laughs> this interview? I, I, don't, just, I don't get what they're like. So what we're going to do is we're, we're like a, a international company, right? And we're going to, there's a bit of nepotism and we, you know, we're going to, Bring in our mates, you know, to for- flesh out the, the board. You know, let, they've all done it before. All right, what role are we looking for? Uh, oh yes, yeah, the CIO, right? Anyone got a bit of a nerdy mate, like <laughs> like someone who like is a bit of a hipster, maybe, like drinks too much coffee and likes watching Star Trek. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My mate Dave, yeah. my, my mate Dave, he likes a bit of Star Trek, yeah. Uh, (laughs) what qualifies you to be if you've got no qualification in tech what is the thing that means that these people end up in that space i I totally know that and i think i think one of the things one of the phenomena that i've seen is that um you might have someone that's started with a cs degree yeah and it's like 20 years in the past yeah you know and you know provably with 20 years in between with just a bunch of titles right not being able to um, build any kind of architecture or write a single line of code, right? Yeah. They obviously don't give a shit. Absolutely. You know, I I know that, so obviously our, our CTO is Manny, right? And whenever I get on, on calls with him, right, I, I kick his ass and I say, Manny, have you written your hour, hour of code today? <laughs> oh, 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 I'm going to do it now, right? <laughs> I say, I say this to Gabriel as well. <laughs> Gabriel, have you done anything creative today? And he's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> Just put a finger on <laughs> Yeah, but it's but you but the thing is you have to keep your hand in, right? And the th- yeah. and if you're in if you're in this position, right, you're either driven by passion, right, or you're mediocre. Yeah. Um and um yeah, I think part of the problem is that it's a lot easier to be technically mediocre and climb the ladder yeah. and then become not technical when you get to the top and then use your um well be a member of Arkship B. Exactly. Know, but be the captain, you know, be the rubber duck. <laughs> exactly. Rubber duck. <laughs> I think um, it's, uh, I just want to extend the story, right, because um, it is, um, what, oh, I'm trying to think how many years old it is now. It oh. must, it's over 40. Yeah. Like, it must be like 45, 46 years old. So Didn't stop getting older at forty two. <laughs> She's definitely older than me. I I remember I remember in the um I watched the original series like nineteen eighty or nineteen eighty one when it was on, on T V and um I I was obviously too young to have listened to the radio scripts. Yeah. And um I remember how freaked out I was because um Arthur Dent was sitting at the restaurant at the end of the universe. Yeah. And uh he was uh <laughs> He was with Zaphod, who had two heads and three arms, who was the yeah. um, the renegade uh, galactic uh, president. president of the galaxy yeah. who'd yeah. run away with the uh, the infinite improbability drive ship, the 
a heart of gold. His uh, his sweetheart was on one side, um, Trisha McMillan, Trillian, and on the other side was uh, Ford Prefect, yeah, um, who was a Beetlejuicean, who uh, <laughs> who accidentally landed on a spent fifteen years there, and the best name that he could come up with was Ford Prefect after the car, yeah, um, and uh, I just remember as like a six or seven year old how freaked out I was that. Um, in this restaurant, they'd created a genetically engineered cow, yeah, which was uh, which was telling Arthur to eat itself. Right, yeah. so the only humans going right. I think uh, you'd like my shoulder, sir. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, very tender. really tasty, really tender. <laughs> you know, and I was like, I was so freaked out when I was a kid. But then, um, but then I went out and I bought the radio. Well, I got my dad to buy me the radio scripts. Yeah, um, I absolutely loved it. The, um, but I think the. The, the irony in this whole story, um, it's just, it's not, it's not lost on me at the moment, and especially today as we were talking about um, the future of AI, yeah. and you were talking about this, um, <clears throat> this Uber-distributed supercomputer, and I was just thinking of Deep Thought. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, which, uh, which to those of, those of you who don't know, Deep Thought is, um, is this, is a computer which was the largest computer in the entire universe yep. and was invented by uh, these hyperdimensional, uh, pan-dimensional, oh, yeah, God, hyper-pan something or other dimensional beings um, in in our universe. When they came into our universe, they became mice. Um, but um, this computer had to come up with the ultimate answer to yep. the life, the universe and everything, which um, has become... You know, an incredibly famous meme as well, yeah. which is forty-two, which is completely nonsensical, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I think the cherry, the cherry on the cake, which is why I wanted to, um, which is why I wanted to just extend the story a little bit, was that the 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 pan-dimensional beings didn't get the question right. Yeah. And. Um, so they designed a new supercomputer, which turned out to be Earth. Um, and Earth grew um, like humans um, from Homo sapiens. And um, five minutes before it was supposed to um, <laughs> come up with its calculation, after four, four point something billion years, um, it was destroyed to make a road. <laughs> um, but I think... I think the the irony of the I'm not technical but isn't lost on me in the story because what actually happened was the all the non-techies from Arkship B landed and had had they not um had they not landed um when they did the and had there not been uh had there been an evolution right of uh, homo sapien yeah um like a true evolution, so it wasn't disrupted, then um, then we probably, you know, anybody that escaped before then would have had the actual answer yeah. in in their matrix. But what ended up happening was that the entire human race um, were effectively birthed <laughs> from these these idiots in Oxygen B. Yeah. And so um, when the best question that they could come up with um, for the answer of forty-two is what is six times nine? Yeah, <laughs> so it just it just round trips my story. I think that, that that's why I thought that Arkship B was like uh, an incredible um, parallel to um, yeah. to what we see. 
Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and I, I think that the, you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, right, about these non-technical people, is the attitude, right? It's the attitude, it's that, the attitude you're right. that there's a role in a modern world for people who refuse to engage with technical at a sufficiently advanced way, who think that complexity in, in software and in, in their tools is so, somehow beneath them. And it's literally the opposite, right? <laughs> and to be effective in a modern digital world, you have to use all the tools at your disposal to be more efficient and to, to do more and to integrate across wider realms of work. And I feel like that there are people out there who just don't get that at all, who don't understand that the world is a fundamentally changed place. It's not even really changing anymore. It's pretty much set in this ubiquitous compute. Things are shifting and will always they'll always be new. But what there what there isn't really gonna be is a, a motion across the world that says, you know, we're better off without laptops. We're you know, let's go back to putting our knowledge in books and putting them in libraries. So we all have to go and let's turn the internet off and let's go to you know local libraries again. Because it's demonstrably better for the human race to have yeah. immediate access to data. So it's only a, it's like the hour of time, the hour of progress only really points in one way. Um, and for people to be at the one end of the arrow and just refusing to sort of follow it, I find it's just pretty repugnant. Really. I Same me. And I, I've got, I'm actually thinking of a scenario with um, one of our customers, somebody who, somebody who I had quite a lot of time for. And um, the, you know, as a leader, um, one of the things that I found was that they immersed themselves, even if they didn't need to, in Azure stack, um, data, data governance. Yeah. Um, and it was really because all of the people that were coming to them, uh, telling them a whole bunch of stuff but not really delivering the outcomes for them, um, they didn't believe. So went away you know, understood purview, understood the limits and got so savvy within conversations about what you could and couldn't do and what the art of the possible was and where the gaps were, right, that, um, you know, began to question like just about everything. And that's the kind of thing that, that's the kind of thing I I really appreciate because I think that, um in our industry, not a lot of people have got common sense. Yep. And when you, when, you, when you learn enough, you don't have to learn everything because you can just extrapolate if you've got common sense, yep. right? And you know how to do something the right way or near enough the right way. And those, those in um, technical or non-technical roles, right, if they've got that skill, right, um, they'll always be critical about everything, yeah. but they'll always be very, very precise as well. And I think that too many people uh, are very kind of laissez-faire. They'll rely on um, a, a governance process, whether or not it's a software or IT governance process, to do everything. And, you know, you'll have cracks all the way down, yeah. you know. So uh, most things will end up being duct tape yep. and you won't get desired results um, I was even thinking I know we get into this whole central IT thing all the time and 
One of the things that really winds me up, and we keep reiterating it in every every podcast episode because it's incredibly important, is that just to have this whole group of people that have basically taken everything bad that we've had for like 20 years and then transpose that into the cloud so that everything you could possibly have that's good, yeah. you now have just as bad, yeah. right? But probably even more bad because you know that it could be really good. <laughs> like at the press of a button, you can have a service and you can be really, really productive, but you yeah. can't do that anymore. Yeah, You now have to push a request through a queue, wait hours and hours, have so many different controls around, some of which make no sense at all yeah. because the people building them don't really understand the kinds of controls that you need or the capabilities of. Um, so I think I think a lot of that is, again, it's from the I'm not technical but position because yeah. um, there's so much fear when you don't understand something. That's it. That's it for me. So I think I've always thought that you can't be incredible if you're not also incredulous <laughs> because <laughs> the incredulous means that you don't just believe yeah. that something is going to be okay. I know so many people will buy a product from our beloved partner, Microsoft, thinking it will do all this stuff when either it doesn't or they missold it or they didn't understand it because it was a big thing with a big name. They just like build a house on the back of this kind of nonsense, right? And, and eventually it falls over and it's a nightmare. Yeah. But if they... If they were actually incredulous at the start and they didn't believe it was going to actually do that stuff, like with us, it's like AI and ML. It's like, is it actually magic? No. So what is it? Understand how it can actually help. And then understand where its limitations are and work with a a known quantity and not just this amorphous blob of possibility. So not just believing and instead, you know, only knowing what you know and building off the solid foundations takes you to a, a different place. So that's the the incredul- incredulity that I think we need actively inside everything that we do. And, and it does take you to common sense and it and it does take you to better outcomes because as you go along the way, you decide to get deeper and deeper into things and you understand the, the foundations of why you, things are working in a certain way. Mm. And you can build strong abstractions over the top of complex domains that you know you can rely on and they're not going to go wrong at some point and everything that uses the abstraction also gets a knock-on effect of it. That's right. And the the thing is that too many people don't do that and it's part of the same attitude to I'm not technical or I'm not technical enough or whatever. And realistically, all software and technology is, is like a combined effort of people who have put in the hours to to build something. And sometimes that thing is in a complex domain. I and mean, we're doing loads of stuff at the moment with, with 3D maths and um, and trying to do encoding formats with various file formats. And sometimes you look at it and you're just like, what on earth is that? What is this garbage, right? How does that turn into <laughs> like a 3D model on the screen? I have no idea. But it, it all does make sense. And it is all actually documented and verifiable. And a lot of it's open source and open standards. And you can just... If you put the time in to understand it, you can get there. Well, you know, Darren can get there. But <laughs> that's, that's because he's a superstar. Um, but no, anybody can get there, really. You put the time in, you, you understand, and you go deeper when it's necessary, except that there's like a good level of abstraction that you can take. You don't even have to go deep straight away. Yeah. right? You can accept a bit of a shaky kind of abstraction for a while because it seems to work. 
and you can get what you need done over the top of it, as long as you know, you know, it's on your sort of technical debt backlog, you've got to kind of track that, that, yeah, I didn't actually work out whether or not that file format that works really well for this one gig file is going to work on a 10 gig file. Yeah. Or has it got a baked in limit that I can't get around? Yeah. I, so I, I, um, I had a catch up with, uh, with Darren the other day when we were talking about, um, uh, some of the, uh, some of the things that we need to discuss, uh, about a construction partner of yeah. ours. And uh, he he did a demo for me of, um, of reading in a file for TNMOC, that's the National yeah. Museum of Computing. And we should actually say on this podcast, um, TNMOC are looking for um, some sponsorship. They've got a sponsorship roof. page up, yep, mm-hmm. for their roof. Um, they are an incredible institution. Uh, we're one of their foundation sponsors. We're very, very proud to sponsor them. Um, and, um, you know, dig deep, give generously, um, go onto their site, National Museum of Computing, um, find your way to the uh, charitable giving page and, um, you know, really help this institution. Um, yeah. So um, Darren showed me the, <laughs> Darren showed me the, an image of TNMOC, like uh, what, what happens coming from the file, like that you, uh, how how it would look when you render it, and it just looked like this bulldozed mess, right? And I was like looking at all of these yeah. different angles for this building, and and he went, yeah, but we put it right. Yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, in the next graphic, this building actually looks like the National Museum of Computing, and it just it really, you know, it really hit me that um, you know, in between these two things, right, there is so much work, mm. and. You know, you know. Even though I've seen the genesis of this, and I haven't been involved with intelligent spaces, um, you know, and I've seen the team grow into this fantastic um, team um, under yours and Darren's leadership, it's been you know remarkable to see how this software product has grown. Um, like all, whenever whenever you do a demo to someone, right, all of the complexity, right, with the fact that when you read a file. A building looks like a bulldozed pile of crap, right? <laughs> Unless you do so much soft software rendering, all of this hard 3D maths. Yeah. And you have all of these people looking in on this who think they know everything about digital twins, right? And they are so fucking far away yeah. from this, right? They have no idea what goes into, um, you know, throwing all of these, all of the devices, all of the telemetry, right, into the right space into a complete complete virtual replica of this. Yeah. Um and it's been it's been really eye opening for me to see because um the kind of things that we do day to day um are very different obviously, right? We've got we don't need to necessarily think about um like the representation of data in in such a precise form. Yeah. Um so I think again it it plays into this whole kind of persona of judgment of people that don't really understand what you do, but think they know what you do. Yeah. And are strongly opinionated, um, you know, about the art of the possible and what's reasonable and not. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree that there's a lot of complexity in, in that. And uh, there are a lot of people out there who will talk exceptionally passionately and, um, vocally about digital twins and 
and the future of connected systems and things like that. And um, and then there are people in a broader ecosystem who are trying to work alongside it and, and engage. But I think one of the problems that, that I perceive in, perceive in that space is that, that there are people out there making decisions that are supported by people who don't understand what's underneath it. And that's right, let me square in the bullseye here, it's the... Um, well, the crosshair, sorry, it's like the management consultants who were our, uh, an ship B kind of <laughs> candidate. Um, and, you know, those guys will pretty much say anything that makes a good narrative that they think people can get behind because, and then say that that's progress. Yeah. Because everyone decided that, you know, getting on ship B was a good idea and they brought it up at the start. So, you know, that's great. We achieved something fantastic. They also go into companies that can afford management consultants. Uh, therefore, they've got... Some some level of success, so then they go into a successful company, find a way of reframing success, <clears throat> and then that's pretty much it. Um, and the, there is a role for those people, but I, I personally think that that if you want to build a narrative, the first building block that should be correct is like it's around feasibility and around realistic outcomes from from achieving those things and. Mm-hmm. There's been times when we've built projects, um, we could classify them as being maybe slightly more tactical, where we just have to go in and solve something. Often it's a rescue type thing, someone else has messed up and we've got to try and fix it. But then there are other times where we're asked to do something a bit more strategic, thinking around how do we improve the operation of a hospital or an airport, or um, how do we think about a supermarket and the efficiency of um, stacking the shelves or or um, building new devices for people who want to shop inside the store. And when we're asked to do the more strategic thing, we often come up with some pretty good ideas. Um, but the people who also get put into those roles in a in a consortium kind of approach or in a, a coalition of, of the unwilling um, is of these management consultants. And the last club will come in and we'll be the junior upstarts, you know, all these technical ideas, but... We don't know the CEO like they do. Um, and and then we end up having our voices somewhat drowned out, despite the fact we're doing things that are feasible and technical, by the PowerPoint guys. Uh, and the PowerPoint guys tend to win that battle louder and louder because you know they, they talk the language of the CEO. Hmm. And, and I just wonder whether we're, we'll ever get to a point where the language of the CEO is actually what will evolve, rather because definitely won't be the management consultants. They won't evolve. No, no. But um, I, I also think they're designed to obfuscate, aren't they? Because yeah. um, it's really good to have a, a fat layer um, between, you know, the people that actually do things in Arkship C. <laughs> um, you know, the, I guess the CEO might be Arkship A, right? Yeah, probably. Um, so it's quite it's quite interesting, isn't it? Just that, that kind of <laughs> that, that layer of blubber yeah. <laughs> in between everything that gets done, which is the problem. Yeah. Um, so I know we've got um, three minutes. I just wanted to raise one thing with you before we finish, just because it's topical, and you cool. mentioned something really interesting to me today. Uh, sorry, this, uh, earlier this week, which is uh, Chat GPT. Oh yeah, and the OpenAI, um, Microsoft OpenAI, the the purchase. So yeah, just wanted to get your your thoughts. You you had a co- conversation with me about uh, some, <laughs> about uh, uh, 
you know, conversations that were going on yeah. with, uh, you know, um, family and other things yeah. that uh, about this piece of software, yeah. um, which has got so notorious about yeah. giving answers that people think that it's the next oracle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that what what you've got with that is something which has the capability of fooling people um, that it's intelligent when actually what it is is a a bullshit generator. <laughs> um, and if you train it on bullshit, it will just spew out bullshit. If you train it on intelligent things, it will sort of piece them together to come up with something which seems intelligent but actually has got nothing behind it of any actual genuine thought or or, or novelness or you, innovation. You are you are you are actually um wrapping up a good definition of the data community as well there. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. I actually I actually think the ultimate result of where we'll end up with here is that there'll actually be an Arcship B version two. Uh, and on that will just be anything that ever references chat GPT. Um it will be all the training data on the hard drives will be put on there. You know, the people who coded it will be shoved on that and it will be sent as far away as possible so that we never have to deal with it again. And I, I do, though, think that the tool is quite novel and it's quite, it's quite fun, but it is a tool. It's, a, it's something which doesn't do something specifically by itself. It needs somebody to point it in the right direction and, and they're the people doing the innovation. When you get something that comes out of it that seems particularly special and when you get, like, a, one of these... Uh, like stable diffusion is is also hot in the press at the moment, being sued left, right, centre by everybody. But still, it generates art. But it doesn't really generate art. It generates pictures right. based on other people's art. Yeah. And what you can do as an artist is use it to to do something. But it's your idea that makes that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes out the end of that, who is who is actually doing the creating there? Well, there's actually a really interesting court case going on at the moment where loads of people are trying to sue. Um, all of these these types of uh, companies who, who run things like Stable Diffusion. Mm. Um, Getty's Imaging is uh, are suing oh, them because they okay. think that theirs has been scraped, all their images have been scraped from the web and, and they own them. Um, and other independent artists and whatnot are, are, be, are trying to own copyright over things, are, are trying to sue them as well because if you ask for a picture describing a certain scene, a very rare scene, you'll get like a very similar image to, to what they've done themselves um, now really interesting I, I mean just when you were saying that right it just made me think of that whole um, paradigm shift from the pirate bay to Spotify yeah you know what business models are we going to see off yeah. of the back of this yeah yeah absolutely I think Getty's images um, when they when they <coughs> made their claim they said they've used it without our consent or any kind of compensation, and that was what they said. So basically, they're just angling for some cash right. out of this sort of thing. I, 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 I don't know. I don't, of course, I don't know. But uh, that's how it read when I when I was a bit cynical and I was reading it. Um, but the the thing around there that really interests me, though, is will it be an established tool for good, or will we all get fed up of everything looking the same, sounding the same, <laughs> and just being some form of Maybe we'll all start to be able to recognise stuff that's come out of these right. engines, and then just be like, "Ah, oh, at it again," you know, <laughs> and, and just we just stop with this fake crap that you put in front so of you, me. You, so, uh, if I could try and paraphrase what you're saying, you think this might even stymie creativity? Yeah, to a degree. Like when if you, <coughs> so you can get it to like write a short story or something, right? These things. Um, I was talking to someone who was using it to. Um, create bedtime stories for their children um, and then 
Hopefully they proofread it, make sure it doesn't get dark. I don't know how you would. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably won't be any darker than the old, the old, uh, the old ones that are out there. Yeah. But um, uh, I think what's interesting is if you can quickly, because humans are also like we're we're wired to take the shortcut. Mm-hmm. Like we're pioneers, and all you have to do is look at a pathway that goes right angles around a park, and you will see a diagonal across the grass that people yeah. walk all the time because that's how we as animals were wired to take the shortcut mm-hmm. and so it, that applies to everything if there's a way of getting 8 out of 10 on your maths homework by asking this thing to do it for you people will do it mm. but you won't then understand the maths um, and if in things that are a little bit more um, less academic but more creative like creating art or something like that you won't be picking up things along the way you won't be experiencing the trials and tribulations. You won't be doing the journey. Mm. The journey is what makes for human existence and richness in our lives. It's very true. It, um, g- given that all of my metaphors tonight are um, are, uh, are on TV or film, <laughs> uh, it, it kind of reminds me of Idiocracy, yep. um, which is a great movie, where um, over time everybody gets stupider, stupider yeah. genetically, stupider, and um, within 500 years they... Um, uh, they're pretty much dying of starvation because they think it's a good thing to uh, to water plants using Gatorade, <laughs> <laughs> and so you have this one average guy who who goes basically through a time capsule and uh, and tells them no, it's better to 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 just water the plants, you know. And he's he, he's not special in any way. I think he is actually Arkship B. But <laughs> he's 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 a genius in their time. Um, and um i was just i was i was thinking that um you know if you i was i was trying to remember the other day what what my son's phone number was right and i just couldn't um because i had to write it down the form and i had to actually check it up on my phone yeah um i knew some numbers in it but Starts with zero. Yeah, zero seven, exactly. <laughs> but um, that's what we've been conditioned to do now. We're so reliant yeah. on... That's the shortcut. That's, what, yeah, that's right, it's a shortcut. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, we will be back in two weeks or three weeks, and we're going to be talking about Dataverse, Data Lake, What the Fuck. What the Fuck? Yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. So nice. tune in again, and uh, have a good week, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you.